City Lights Church. Today we're in the last part of the Jesus series. In this series, we've been discovering the timeless truths and purposes of why Jesus came and what that means for those of us who follow him. I've asked Rodney Arnold, the lead pastor of One Life Church, to come in today to challenge us with a word from God. One Life has been a great partner for City Lights, both financially and with resources. In fact, Pastor Rodney is on my elder board. So today, I believe you'll be blessed as you hear from him. So, please welcome Pastor Rodney Arnold to the stage. Y'all said good, but you didn't sound good, okay? So we're going to, yeah, good, he's like you're on the golf course. So we're going to change it as we go. But I am so glad to be here with you today. Um, I, I've gotten to know your pastor over the last couple of years, actually since before the church began. And uh, we began to just kind of hang out together once a week as the launch team began to meet and as the, the team began to grow and began to meet kind of monthly and then weekly. And then to, to celebrate a year with you a few weeks ago was very exciting. And I love the new space that, that we're meeting in here now. And I'm so excited to see what's happened already in just a short period of time and know that a lot of great stuff's going to be going to be ahead for you. Uh, today is a big day for our family. I just want to kind of share this with you as we get into the, the message time today and wrap up this series you've been in. Today is going to be our birthday parties for our kids. We have two kids. Uh, one is five and one is two, and that's Aaron. Mary Claire's five. She's our, our five-year-old. She just turned five, and Aaron is our two-year-old, and we were blessed that their birthdays are one day apart. Hallelujah. We could do one birthday party a year, and so we get off, we get off easy, and, and let's just be honest, all of their friends, parents get off easy, because who wants, you know, we'd be going to, y'all know how it is as parents. It's like, oh, another birthday invitation, right? And so we understand that. And so as long as we can get away with it, they're going to have one big combined birthday party. And, and here's what's so, so interesting about birthdays. I want you to just kind of start thinking about this. Birthdays are like uh, a lot of other big days that we celebrate. And we celebrate this, these, these big days, especially birthdays, with something that I love, and that is called cake. Anybody else love cake? Y'all? Okay, good. So here's the thing. I want you to think about it, though. Big times in our lives, we celebrate them with cake. And I don't know where that kind of started, but you think about it. So you say, hey, I'm pregnant, expecting a baby. They say, we're going to have you a baby shower, and there's going to be a cake there, right? And it's going to say, congratulations on the birth of your baby or on your baby that's coming, right? You know, you, you have a birthday party. There's cake. You have a wedding, and of course, wedding, for some reason, wedding cake suddenly becomes $8 a slice. I don't understand how that happens, but wedding cake is no different. In fact, I read a, for another sermon that we did at our church a while back, I did some, some, some research on like people's biggest secrets they have, and I found this lady, and, and the, the, her greatest fear was that she was going to get found out because she was a, a wedding cake baker and designer, and she charged something that was astronomical for her cakes, and she posted on this anonymous message board that her biggest fear was that people were going to find out that she she uses box cake mix from Walmart that she buys it on sale and that's her wedding cake. So let me tell you, you're getting ripped off when you buy wedding cake, okay? Because people are doing that. But the thing I saw was there's this new trend to put on the top layer of a cake, you know, to kind of be kind of cool and hip and trendy. And it's to put on the top layer of your cake, best day ever, which that's cute on a wedding day, right? But then let's go find that couple that said best day ever about six or 12 months later, and let's just talk about that, right? How's that going for you in year one? But there's something about that cake. You know, we're going to celebrate this best day ever. And here's, here's where I'm kind of going with that. If you stop and think about all these best days ever that we have that we celebrate, so it's a wedding, it's a retirement, it's a, it's a graduation from high school, it's a baby shower, it's any of those big days that we have. At the end of the day, here's the thing. We've been led to believe that those days are about us, haven't we? My wedding day is a day that's going to make me so happy. The day my child's born is a day that's going to make me so happy. You know what I learned? Our little girl, Mary Claire, she was born five, days, or five years ago, and, and it was one of the best days of my life without a doubt. And it was awesome those first couple of days because you know what happened? This nurse would come in, 
and take the baby to the nursery at night and we'd sleep. And they'd come every few hours and she'd eat and then that sweet nurse would take the baby back to the nursery and then we got home on night three. Guess who didn't come home with us? The nurse, right? And suddenly I found out that having this baby that makes me so happy and so excited, it's not about me anymore because that child's got to eat. It's got to have his diaper changed. It's got to be bathed. And where's that nurse that's been doing it for the first couple of days, right? It's not about me. Your kids grow up and you start to learn, hey, it's not about me. You, you graduate high school, they have this big party for you, they give you a cake, it's the best day ever, and then you go to college and guess what you find out? They want tuition money. It's not about you, is it? That, that professor that you think it's all about you and your education, no, you got to have projects turned in on time, you got to go buy the book, usually the book they wrote, isn't that convenient? I mean, you got, it's just not about you anymore. You go on down the list and you find, you know what, all these days that I thought were about me, my marriage, my wedding. My best day ever made me so happy. I finally got somebody to say yes to me. I finally got him to ask me. I mean, it's all about me, me, me. I'm so happy. I'm so happy. And then I get married and realize she wants me to take, she wants me to pick my clothes up out of the floor. What? He wants me to cook dinner at night. What? I thought this was about me. And so you can see we go on down the list. And, and what we find is it's really not about me, is it? But I've been led to believe that it is. And guess what? It doesn't stop there, does it? Happens in church. Anybody ever been to a church? People say, you know what, it's about me. You ever been to a, a job site where people think it's all about me and getting my promotion, my advancement? So we live in this world that we think it's all about me, but at the end of the day, we, we know that it's not. And what I want to talk about this morning is that's actually one of the things that Jesus displayed. Jesus displayed that if you're going to be who he was, if you're going to be who he is, if you're going to follow him, if you're going to live like him, we're going to have to learn that even on our best day ever, it's not about me. That really our best day ever probably should have been or probably should be the day that we give our lives to him far better than a marriage, far better than a birthday, far better than a retirement or a graduation. But yet even on that best day ever, guess what we find? It's not about me. So what I want us to see this morning is as we wrap up this series called the Jesus series, is what is that best day ever really supposed to be like? And how does this principle of it's not about me incorporate into who Jesus is and what he wants to do in your life? So here's what I want you to do. I want you to turn to Galatians chapter 2, verse 20, and we're going to look at one verse together. Just one verse, and this is uh, written by a guy named Paul. I'm sure you've heard about Paul. Paul was, at one point in his life, he was a Christian killer. He was a Pharisee who, who was against the movement of Jesus. He was against the, 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 the movement of the church that was going like crazy when Jesus lived. He died. He rose again. Forty days later, he goes to heaven, and his disciples start all these churches, and it's spreading like crazy. Paul's trying to snuff it out. And then he meets Jesus. Jesus shows up to him on the side of a road. It changes his life forever. And he goes from a Christian killer to a missionary, to a church planner, a church starter. And he'd write these letters back to these churches he helped start. And this is one of the ones we're going to read. And in Galatians chapter 2, verse 20, we're going to read it. We're going to sum it up into one sentence. And then we're going to look at three quick points from this one little verse. It says this in Galatians 2, verse 20. My old self has been crucified with Christ. Now, so you're going to begin to hear this. It's not about me theme right off the bat. He says this. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. So I live in this earthly body by trusting in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So here's what we, Paul tells us about Jesus. He says, Jesus can be summed up into one sentence, one short little sentence. Jesus and the gospel can be summed up into one sentence. If you want to follow Jesus, that's what, we, that's what we call the gospel. It's the good news that I give my life to Jesus. I follow him. It's not just a get out of hell free card because guess what? Here's what the gospel summed up into one sentence is. You know what it is? It's not about me. I mean, think about this verse we just read where Paul says, 
I don't live anymore, but Christ lives in me. My old self has been crucified. My old self is dead. So it's not me that lives anymore. It's Jesus who lives in me. Paul says, I want you to understand this thing about the gospel. And that is, it's not about me. Now, we don't do good with, we we don't do well with this. You know how I know we don't do well with this? There's one word that tells me you don't do well with this and I don't do well with this. You know what it is? Traffic. Think about that for a minute. Anybody ever get just lose your mind in traffic? Is it just me? Is it, I mean, this morning trying to go through the Bojangles drive through I was about to lose my mind because the lady in front of me, I don't know what she ordered, like half the store, I guess. Because it's about me. I'm trying to get where I'm getting to go, Ready, right? Have you ever been in a traffic jam with children on the interstate? And they're asking, are we there yet? 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 No. We've moved five feet in the last 30 minutes. If you ask again, I'm gonna, like I told the, the volunteers this morning, I need some Benadryl to just drag you up right now and put you to sleep, right? Because I'm going crazy right now. Is that just me? Y'all gonna call DCS on me for saying that? But, but, that, but there's this thing that traffic does to us, isn't there? It just makes us crazy. I, if somebody pulls out in front of me, I'm gonna lay on, my, lay on my horn. If I'm not having a good Jesus day, I might show them one of my fingers. I mean, I might just, because at this moment, you're getting in my way. You're preventing me from doing what I want. And so traffic, I mean, traffic's just one of those many things that kind of helps us to see, you know what? I'm not very good at this, it's not about me thing. I'm not good at that at all. And, and, and that's what we need to begin to see in this principle. Is this is a principle that Jesus shows us that it's going to be hard. Paul shows us this about Jesus and about the gospel. He says, when I follow Jesus, that old Paul died. He had to let go. In fact, it's not even me that lives anymore. It's Jesus who lives in me. And I want you to think about that. If that is the sentence that sums up the gospel, and if, if we say we follow the gospel, then that would be the sentence that you and I follow with our lives. And I want you to think how if this principle was applied to every part of our life, how it would change things. I mean, imagine if the gospel principle of it's not about me was applied to marriage. How many marriages would be saved? Can you think about that for a minute? Where, where people begin to go, you know what? It's not about me. In fact, a, a pastor friend of mine who's a, who's a mentor, he said, um, he said here's, here's why I don't think most pastors should, should do marriage counseling. He said, because most pastors are like me. They, they should keep it this short. You're selfish. You're selfish. Next. Right? Marriage counseling 101. You're selfish. You don't communicate. Next. You're selfish, you don't communicate. Now, you do have a crazy mother-in-law, but that's, I can't help you with that. You're selfish, yourself is next, right? Because imagine, how many, how many adulteries would not have happened if the gospel principle had been applied? It's not about me. It's not about what I want. How, how many abortions would not have happened if the gospel principle had been applied? It's not about me. How many business deals that went wrong would not have gone wrong if the gospel had been applied? It's not about me. How many churches would not have been split if the gospel had been followed? It's not about me. How many abusive situations would have never been abusive if the gospel situation had been applied? It's not about me. You see, it could go on and on. And we begin to realize we overcomplicate this thing. We want to argue theology we want to argue doctrine. We want to try to figure out, you know, the things of God that are hard to figure out. And Paul says, whoa, 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 whoa. The essence of Jesus and the gospel message is this simple. It's not about me. It's all about him. It's all about Jesus. It's all about what brings him glory. It's all about following him. It's all about doing what would make him happy and what would please him. 
It affects my relationships because now I'm not going to live in a way here on this earth that that brings me credit or brings me glory or brings me honor, but instead, I'm going to live in a way that serves others. Why? Because that's what Jesus would do. Jesus displayed it's not about me. It's going to affect the way I do church. It's going to affect... See, here's the thing. We joked about this earlier this morning too. Have you ever noticed how some people, that they're not involved in church, maybe they're even far from God, and then they get involved in church and they become weird? Have you ever seen that? Can we be honest? Like they become weird church people? They start to do things like this. Hey, if you're going to come to our church, everyone's welcome, but, oh, we've got to be honest just for a second. If you're going to come to our church, here's what's got to happen. You've got to dress like us, okay? I don't I mean, you to, maybe it means you've got to go buy new, all new clothes, but you've got to dress like us. You've got to talk like us. You've you got to believe what we believe, and every little thing's got to be just right. You've got to vote like we vote. Make sure you get that right, because, you know, elections are coming up. You, you've got to make sure that you read the same version of the Bible that we read. You've got to get everything just like we get it because what we're really saying is, you know what? It's about me. I mean, it's really, there's no room for you to go on the spiritual journey. There's no room for God to to work in your heart and your life because you need to come and you need to be like me. We get into these church fights. Anybody ever been to this weird thing churches do called business meetings? Anybody ever been to one of those? Right? That's where we argue about really important things like the color of the carpet. You know, uh, I want purple carpet. Purple carpet. It needs to be teal. Well, we're going to have a vote. All in favor. I need to make a motion. Robert's rules of order. Well, I don't know. Do we have a quorum? And like, whoa, hold on. Where? In, well, I'm looking through the Bible trying to find this thing. And I don't see it anywhere. Color of carpet. How to determine that in the church? It's like in First East Tennessee, chapter two, I guess. Because I don't. I just don't see it in there. But you know why we get there? Because we forget something in those moments. We forget that the essence of the gospel is it's not about me. Maybe that's a little extreme. Maybe it's more like this. Maybe I think the music should be piano and organ. Oh, that's boring. That's old school. I think it should be drums and guitars. Oh, that's of the world. That's secular. Wait a second. Maybe neither one's wrong. Maybe it's not about you. Hey, maybe it gets more down to like this. I had, we had somebody at our church uh, last week. We did this thing, kind of much like City Lights, where we try to get all these people to volunteer. And so we do this volunteer training. And this couple came to volunteer training. And then our, our person who calls and follows up with them after the fact said, hey, so, so glad you came to the volunteer training. You know, we told you all about the opportunities we have and, and which team do you want to be a part of? And the lady said, well, I actually don't think we're ready for it just yet. She said, okay, that's no problem. We'll just kind of help me understand how we can be there for you. And you know, what, what was the holdup? She goes, well, we, we didn't realize until we came to the training, but if we become volunteers, I mean, we have to be there like all day. <laughs> yeah. I told her, I said, you should have said, aren't you glad Jesus didn't say on the way to the cross? Well, I was going to die today, but it was going to take me all day to do it. And I just decided, well, she, I, we really don't say that, okay? I'm not that big of a jerk. But at the moment, what I wish she could have said is, well, that's right, because you know what? The gospel is, it's not about you. Church isn't about you coming for an hour and getting what you want and then, and then going on out the door and just continuing on with your life. A relationship with Jesus, a spiritual journey is one that's summed up by this gospel message that says one thing, it's not about me. And so what I want us to see as we look through this verse for just a few more minutes is I think there's actually three little points that we can see that come out of this verse that tell us how can we begin to apply this gospel idea that Jesus displayed and that Paul sees in the life of Jesus to your life and to my life where we can live as a way that it's not about me, it's all about Jesus and it's all about bringing him honor and glory. So we're going to look back through this verse just briefly and see what these three quick points are. Let's just read it from the beginning again. There's one word I'm going to have you say with me, so y'all don't leave me hanging up here. Get ready to say it with me. Paul says this. My old self has been crucified with Christ. 
It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. Now listen to what's coming up here. Comes our first point we're going to look at. So I live in this earthly body by what? Say the word here, by trusting in the Son of God. Now the reason I had you say that word trusting is because that word there literally means total and complete dependence. It's similar to the word faith. When we use the word, when we see the word faith in the New Testament, it's not a faith like a belief in Santa Claus faith. That's what most most Southern Christians kind of think it is. Most American Christians think it's kind of like that belief. I know it's out there. I think it's out there and that's faith. But the word faith is this Greek word pisteos that literally means total and utter complete control is given up. It's like when you sat down in the chair you're sitting in right now, you had faith, you had trust that that chair was going to hold you up so much so that you put all your, your trust in. In fact, I'm going to have you do something weird right now. Pick your feet up off the floor. Y'all have to do this now, okay? Work your labs for a minute, okay? Pick your feet up off the floor. In that moment you pick your feet up off the floor, all your weight is on the chair, isn't it? I didn't hear any chairs break, by the way. That's a good thing, okay? All your weight, your whole entire existence was in that chair. You were showing complete and total dependence in that chair, That's what this word trust here illustrates, is I have put all of my eggs in the Jesus basket. It's not about me. I haven't just given Jesus my sin. We're good at that part. Take my sin, wash me clean. I need to to not go to hell when I die, so I think that's what I'm supposed to have been told that. But that's not the gospel. That's a half gospel. The gospel is, Jesus, you can have my sin, in fact, but you can have all of me. You can have my relationships, my finances, my family, my future, my hopes, my dreams, all the decisions that I will make in the future, everything that I'm going to do. I want to live my life not for me any longer, but all for you, Jesus. And Paul says that is what the gospel of it's not about me is all about. I died to myself, so in this earthly body, I live by trusting in the Son of God. The way that I think about this is I don't get to fly a whole lot, but every once in a while when I get to fly, there's this moment that I have every single time I'm getting on a plane. And you walk, you know, walk down, they call it the jet bridge, and you're walking down, and you're, you're walking into the plane, and I always have to kind of duck down, it's because it's way too small. And I always look to my left, right, as I'm about to walk down the aisle, because you see into the cockpit. You see the captain. I'm always kind of looking like, does the captain look like he's you know, mentally stable, and everything's going okay up here, and the co- you know, co-pilot can take over if not. And, but what I always notice is just it's like this wall of gadgets, Right, This wall of, of buttons and knobs and, and, and gauges and things that, you know what, I have no idea how, what they would do. You know, I, I, I think back to video games as a kid. I thought flying a plane was just you pull back and you go up and you gut down and you're going to land, right? But you begin to see there's all these things. And I realize every single time I get on the airplane, I realize something in that moment. I have no idea how to fly this plane. I hope those two guys do, right? I hope they both make it from now until we get to wherever we're going. Because if they don't, if they, if, if they go down, we go down, right? If it's up to me to fly the plane, what's going to happen? We're going to crash. So here's, what's going to, here's how this, this flight's going to go. If that pilot decides to go around a storm and it's going to take longer than I want him to, I might get grumpy and irritated and I might miss my next flight, but I have to do what the pilot says, don't I? Because he knows what's best. If the pilot decides he's going to go at 30,000 feet, I'm going to be at 30,000 feet. If the pilot decides to go at 10,000 feet, I'm going to go 10,000 feet. If the pilot turns left, I go left. If the pilot turns right, I go right. Why? Because I have complete and total trust in the pilot. I have no control. I've given complete and total dependence of my life in that moment to who? The pilot. And if I try to take control, what's going to happen? We're going to crash. We're going to burn, aren't we? And so in that illustration, we see that the gospel is not that hard for us to understand. We just don't like it. Because when I get on that airplane, I don't want to be in control. 
If he has to make an emergency landing, I might get mad, but I'm going to trust it was what's best. If he has to circle around for a few hours because there's a storm brewing and doesn't want to have to land in the storm, I might miss my, 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 my conveniences. I might have to have somebody on the ground wait for me. I might miss my connecting flight and have to spend the night, but I'm going to trust that the pilot knew what was best. And Paul says right here in this verse, if you want to live a life that illustrates the gospel message that says it's not about me, that's what it looks like. Complete and total trust, complete and total dependence on someone other than me. His name is Jesus. That's the first thing that we see. What would a second point be? Let's continue to read here. It says this. Miles, let's read from the beginning still. My old self has been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. So I live in this earthly body by trusting in the Son of God. And now listen to this last little phrase here. This is huge. Who loved me and gave himself for me. Now think about that last phrase for just a minute. What was the result of Jesus loving me? The result of Jesus loving me was that he gave himself for me. So if we see, first of all, that to live the gospel means I live in a way that is totally trusting in Jesus, then I begin to see an example that Jesus gave here. That when he loved me, he gave himself for me. So if I'm going to love him, it must mean I do the same thing. And the way we say this is loving means giving. We, we oftentimes will make it, make it kind of a little bit longer at our church where I come from. We'll say this. You can give without loving, but you can't love without giving. Jesus displayed that. He says, listen, I loved you so much that it meant I had to give to you. And so if I'm going to be Christ-like, which is what the word Christian means anyway, if I'm going to be Christ-like, then I'm going to have to make sure, is my life showing this principle? That loving means giving. When I think about this, I always think back to this, this girl that I dated in college, because bless her heart, I never liked her. You ever dated somebody you didn't like? And you look back on it, and you're like, why did I do that? You know, what a waste of time. And, and I'll never forget, it was Christmas, and she was the girl that my parents loved. You ever, and that's probably why you, I stayed with, like, why did my parents love, why am I in this relationship? Because my parents like her. They'll give me a hard time if we break up. So it's Christmas. It's like two days before Christmas, and, and my, my dad asked me, what have you bought, what have you bought her for Christmas? Nothing, Dad. Well, why not? I don't know. I didn't want to tell him because I don't even like the girl, right? But I don't know because I just haven't yet. So I ended up going, I buy her some cheap little presents and take them to her house. And, and what I, what I, you know what I did there? I gave, what, I gave to her, but I didn't, didn't mean I loved her. I just was giving her a present. Okay, a few months later, thankfully that relationship was over. Now, fast forward to when I met my, met my wife. I knew like almost instantly, like, wow, there's something different in this relationship. And so I met my wife. Her name's Harrison. She starts coming to the church that I was at. We start hanging out a lot. We start dating. And I, I remember calling my mom and saying, Mom, I think this might be the one. This might be the one that I marry. So then six months later, we get in, we're talking about marriage. not engaged yet. We start looking at engagement rings. And we go and we, we go to this. And now, I had gone to the store and I bought one, a certain cut. I forget what it was. And I, think it was a, I think it was a princess cut maybe is what it was, a round cut. I don't even remember what it was. But I got this certain one that this guy sold on me. And I said, okay, well, I'm going to bring her by. And you act like you've never met me before. And we go. And she, what does she do? She picks out a completely different one, of course. Right? So I'll never forget. We're driving away from the, the, uh, the, the jewelry store. And I stop at a, a Walgreens. And I'm like, I've got a headache. Because, Lord, I've got a headache. I've spent all this money. What am I going to do about this? And I said, you just sit in the car. Go buy some Advil. So I go in there and I call the jewelry the jeweler up and I was like Mr. Pendleton he's this older guy what are we going to do he said oh no problem he said I've already switched it out for you I said you did he said well yeah because I wasn't going to let you buy a ring that she didn't like I said okay good call and so uh, he switches it out and, and I'll never forget we, we, we get the band that she wants and now she wants the matching wedding band and the matching wedding band was like $700 and I was planning on like buying a little cheapo like a Walmart I guess a little wedding band or something and so I just remember telling her like babe I, you know if I get the engagement ring I just don't think I'm going to be able to get the wedding ring that matches it 
But secretly, what I did is I spent the next six months, I worked every little odd job that I could, I saved every penny that I could, and I bought that matching wedding band, and I'll never forget her face because I didn't tell her. I had her convinced that we were just going to buy some little cheap one to match the nice engagement ring that I got her. And on our wedding day, we're standing in front of all the people at the church, and they say, it's time to do the rings, and so the best man hands me her ring, and, and the pastor says, Rodney, would you put this ring on her finger? And I slid that ring on her finger, and I'll never forget her face lit up, and she mouths, she goes, you got the ring. And I was like, of course I got the ring. Why? Because I love her. And you can't love without giving. So there was something about loving my future wife that I wanted to do whatever it took to give her what she wanted. And she would tell you seven years later, I still do it just as awesome, I'm sure. But the point is, you can give without loving, but you can't love without giving. And if I live my life under this gospel message of it's not about me, then what's going to begin happening is because it's not about me, generosity just flows out of me. I can't love Jesus without giving to him. So when I hear that church talk about giving and tithing, it's no thing to me because it's not about me. When I hear somebody saying about I should give my time, that's no problem because it's not about me. I can't love God without giving to him. When I think about how I interact with people in my family, my friends, my children, my loved ones, I, I can't help but be generous. Why? Because I love them. And I'm following the model of Jesus and the model of Jesus is it's not about me. I can't love without giving. So first we see that if I'm going to follow this Jesus principle, then it's not about me. It means I'm going to trust him completely. Number two, it means I'm going to love means to give. And then I just want to talk about kind of really the same thing we've been talking about the whole time, like a broken record. Is Jesus displayed that it's not about me? Think about Jesus' life. Think about how he showed us how to live in a way that it's not about me. Think about the Jesus who said, I'm in heaven and everything's perfect, but look down at an earth where everything's falling apart. So God, Father, I'll go. I'll give up everything because it's not about me. And so Jesus entered into earth where he lived for 33 years and he experienced sickness, pain, grief, loss, betrayal, and ultimately death. And when he died, it makes no sense that he died because the Bible tells us that the wages of sin is death. But Jesus never sinned. So when he died, he paid for something that he should not have paid for. Why? Because it's not about me, Jesus said. When Jesus hung on a cross completely naked, beaten beyond recognition, humiliated, they're mocking him, they're, they're throwing things at him, they're, they're, they even put a sign over his head that just completely made fun of him and humiliated him. They even said, if you're God's son, why don't you call down angels from heaven to come rescue you? And you know what Jesus basically said back? Because it's not about me. When Jesus prayed to, to, to God the Father, even before he would go to die, he's in the wilderness and he's praying. He says, Father, if there's any way to take this cup from me, in other words, this, bur this burden and this, this, this grief that I have and this pain that I'm about to endure, if there's any way that you can take this from me, please do. But if you don't, I'll go. Because it's not about me. As he's hanging on the cross, about to breathe his last breath, his last prayer is, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Why does he do that? Because he's showing us it's not about me. And he says, into your hands I commit my spirit. It is finished. And when he did that, he showed us once and for all what it means to live a life. It's not about me. 
He shows us once and for all what it meant when he said, you know, no greater love has any man than this, that he would lay down his life for his friends. So the question that we have to wrestle with is how have we gone from following a Jesus who displayed and modeled for us what it looks like to live a life that's not about me? A Jesus who, who said, I loved you, therefore I gave my life for you. A Jesus that Paul looked at it and said, if I'm going to live this life as if it's not about me, it means complete and total trust, complete and total dependence on him. How have we gone from that to relationships where it's me-centered? How have we gone from that to churches where it's all about my personal preference? How have we gone from that to a viewpoint of serving and giving that says, well, it'd be too much of a sacrifice? How have we gotten there? And how do we get out? Well, getting out is a simple. Getting out of from there is saying, Jesus, I come back to you. Maybe for some of you here today, it's saying, Jesus, I come to you. Maybe for others of us, it's saying, Jesus, I know that's what I should be doing and I've been, I see that there's me-centeredness in this area of my life or this area of my life. Jesus, I know you're calling me to end that relationship or to stop doing that or I, you're calling me to repent of that, but, but I, I've not done it and it's because it's been about me. And Jesus, I'm afraid that if, if I do that, then I'm gonna have to give something up or I'm gonna lose something. And what Jesus would say is, you might, but it's like the airplane, it's like the airplane pilot. If you keep trying to fly this thing, I promise you it's gonna crash and burn. But you let off, off your hands and like the great theologian Carrie, Carrie Underwood said, just say, Jesus, take the wheel, right? Just let you have complete and total control because I can't do this on my own. So I have to give it to you. And the beautiful thing is that really becomes the best day ever. Because the best day ever is one where I say, I found freedom in giving up control. I found freedom in letting go of the will. I found freedom in saying it's not about me because I can lay back. You know what I like to do on an airplane? I like to push that seat back all three inches that it lays back, you know? I like to say I want a little drink, a little ginger ale. For some reason on airplanes, I get in the mood for ginger ale. Never drink any other time. I like some ginger ale. I like to just look out the window because for that length of time, I'm not in control. Nothing I can do about it. I can just enjoy the journey. And that's the awesome thing when we fully surrender to Christ we fully let him have control. We can kick back. We can relax. Hey, there's gonna be turbulence. The Bible tells us don't be surprised when fiery trials come. It's gonna get bumpy. It's gonna get rough, but I don't have to worry because I'm not in control because it's not about me. So as we wrap up this morning, here's what I'd like for you to do. I wanna invite you just to spend a moment just responding to that, just to pray. Maybe you pray every day. Maybe you don't pray very much, but I just wanna ask you right now, if you would bow your head and close your eyes for just a moment. And I'm not going to create some big emotional moment or ask you to come forward or even raise a hand. I just want to give you a chance just to talk to Jesus right now. Just respond to this message, this idea of it's not about me. You've been in a series that's just been all about Jesus called the Jesus series. What has he taught you? What has he shown you? What does he want you to know? What does he want you to do? Here's what I know. Is he brought you to this place today? He brings you to this place every single week. Not so you can leave here the same as you were when you came in, but so you can grow so you can change, so you can be challenged, so you can, you, you can, you can make a step, you can, you can make a difference, you can move in the right direction. And so as our band gets ready to come and they're going to lead us in a song to, to close our time, I want you just to begin to give that to God. So what has he shown you this morning? What is the change that he wants you to make? What is the step that he wants you to take? What is the, 
the, the moment that, that is coming to your mind where you know what, it was about me in that moment. And Jesus, I just need to tell you I'm sorry. I just need to tell you I give you my life. I just need to tell you that it was about me and I need to surrender that. What relationship comes to mind? That if you were to apply this principle to it, it would change everything. What, what, what financial situation? And if you were to apply this to it, it would change everything. Maybe it's even your life. Maybe you're here today and you say, you know what? What I realize is I've known about Jesus, but I've never really known him because my whole life has been all about me. It's been about my wants, my dreams. It's been about my needs, my desires. And today, all you have to do is say, Jesus, I give you my life. Ask him to forgive you. Ask him to change you. Ask him to save you. Ask him to come into your life. Tell him, I want you to be in control. I want your spirit to take complete control. I want you to have your way. Maybe you'll just tell him that right now. And if that's you, if today is the day that you're saying, I'm starting my relationship with Jesus, I'm giving my life to him. It's not about me anymore. I'm ready to move forward in this life of complete surrender and complete and total dependence and control. Let let us know that before you leave here. Take that connection card that you guys, you came in, mark it on there and just says, today I gave my life to Jesus. I'm, 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 I'm accepting him as my savior. I want to give him all that I am. Let us know that before you leave, just so we can pray for you. We can celebrate that with you. I want to pray for you right now and then, then we're going to stand and sing together before we go. And I'm going to pray that God will take this principle and he'll drive it deep down into my heart, deep down into your heart and that people will begin to notice there's something different about that City Lights Church people. Because when they, when they have church, it's not about their personal preference. When they live their life, it's not about them and what they want and need. It, it's something different. It's something unique. It's something special. Jesus, that is my prayer for us as your followers, for us as your capital C church, and for this people that calls themselves City Lights Church in the city of Clinton. God, my prayer is that their individual lives would illustrate that it's not about them, it's all about you, Jesus. That their their decisions, their desires, their, their wants, their steps, their needs will all be about what you want for them. It will all be about what brings you honor and glory. It will be all about what pleases you and makes you happy, not what about pleases me and makes me happy. Jesus, I pray that what happens is that families begin to notice that there's something different about these people, that neighborhoods and cul-de-sacs and little league teams will begin to say there's something different about those people because when, when they talk to the coach or when they talk to the neighbor, it's, it's not about them. It's not, about, it's not all about their child. It's not all about their family, but there's something different. I pray what they see about this church is that that church doesn't just meet in that high school just to grow themselves and to, to become more mature or to grow their, their church and to, to get bigger and to do more things. But God, there's something about that church that even exhibits. It's, it's not about me. And I pray that if we live with that gospel principle at the core and at the center of who we are, that this world that so desperately wants some hope and so desperately wants some realness and some transparency would find it and it wouldn't be in us because it's not about us but it would all be found in you. That's our prayer, Jesus. As we stand to worship now, God, we just give this to you. We respond in a way that just surrenders to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, would you stand to your feet with us and let's sing this together.